0: Father, we pray that you would train our hearts to hope in you. We pray that you would make us utterly and absolutely confident that you are mighty to save. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to obey every word that you inspired. We pray that you would cause us to be those who bless those who persecute us, who bless them and do not curse, and help us, Lord, to be those who never take vengeance, but who leave room for your wrath. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to know how to hold together instructions like the ones I've just mentioned with the prayer that we find in Psalm 35. Give us wisdom. Help us to know which word is in season and cause our hearts to, to move in the channels that your word cuts. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. I would invite you to open your Bible this morning to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. and in Psalm 35, we find one of these imprecatory prayers. And as we approach this psalm this morning, I want to invite you to think of three different contexts in which I think a prayer like this one is appropriate. The first one, the first context in which a prayer like this one is appropriate for us today, so we don't live when David lived, right? David was the king of Israel. He lived in a theocracy. Uh, It was a a geopolitical nation, and he was the king of it. And uh, that kingdom, that nation of Israel, had instructions in the Old Testament that they were to follow about how they were to deal with with foreign powers, with other nations. And you can go read those in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and other places we don't live in that time. We live in a time where uh, the people of God, Christians, do not constitute a geopolitical entity. Uh, Christians do not have an army, and Christians are not commanded to fight, and our nation is not about, the Christian nation, there is no Christian nation, is not about to be attacked. So what we have to do is, is figure out how does this word that God inspired nevertheless apply to us today. And I want to suggest three contexts in which it applies. The first one is, I would argue that you can pray the words of Psalm 35 against the sin that you struggle with. So so look with me at verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 35. This is a psalm of David, and David says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Take those words and put them against whatever it is that tempts you. I don't know if, I, maybe there are women that you work with, guys, that are making suggestions to you or making eyes at you. And, and you, can, you can pray these words against those temptations. Maybe Maybe there are thoughts that enter your mind like, if I were to fudge on this little accounting matter, no one would know of it, no one would have access to the record and you can you can take these words and you can you can marshal this prayer against temptations to to steal in your life Wh- whatever whatever sin tempts you and and I know that this you know we 're at the end of two thousand and fifteen we 're coming up on two thousand and sixteen and and this is a great time to, to Analyze our lives and make commitments about ways in which we want to grow and improve in the coming year. And you can take the words, Psalm 35, 1 through 3, and pray them against what contends with you. That's the first thing, first context. Second context. Um, You know, this is maybe politically incorrect to say, but we are dealing with resurgent uh, Islam in the world. Islam is on the move. They are on, the the radical Muslims are on the march. And uh, this morning, I I googled um, uh, Islamic terrorist attack 2015, and the page that came up, there were too many items on that page to fit on one screen. I had to scroll down through the list. So, you know, I know that there are people, uh, praise God, there are many Muslims, probably most of the Muslims who are your friends and neighbors, are not radical terrorists who are about to do something like what we just saw happen in San Bernardino. Praise the Lord, they're not going to arm themselves and, and shoot. But, but it's, they're, they're, it's happening. It's there. And I think that a, a psalm like this can be appropriately prayed. Note, note what is and isn't happening here. What is happening is David is saying, you, Lord, contend with those who contend with me. David is entirely trusting himself to the Lord. You, Lord, you fight against those who fight against me. That's what is happening. What's not happening here is David is not saying, I'm going to kill him, right? I mean, that's just what the psalm says there. We know David was a man of war, but, but look at what the psalm says here. And what I'm saying, I'm not suggesting that David was fighting. I mean, obviously, Islam arose in the 600 AD. David is not addressing... Uh, Islamic radicals, radicals who are terrorists. But what I'm saying is, we can take this and apply it in that context. Context one: your own sin. Context two: um, the the Islamic radicals. And and I, I, I'm, my guess is that there's a whole spectrum of concern in our congregation about these things. Um, I can imagine that some of you are are unruffled about the possibility and, and don't even think that it's near us at all. Others of you may be really worried about what could happen. Wherever you are on that spectrum, you can pray this prayer in that context, third, third context in which I think it applies. And again, I want to say, as, as, as I approach this, I want to say um, we, we should note what David does and does not say. David is, is praying in this psalm for the Lord's cause to be vindicated by the Lord himself. And, and we want to we follow in his footsteps. And I think we can follow in his footsteps with respect to the encroachments on religious liberty that are coming through the rise of gay marriage. And, and there are encroachments coming on religious liberty. I mean, there was a, just this past week, there's, there are cases that involve Christian schools that want to hire in keeping with their faith practices, and they're being told, you can't do that. And that's one of those things, Rod Dreher has, has said, that um, the, 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 the movement that is advocating uh, the, the norm, normalization and the even um, uh, endorsement of um, same-sex marriage, that movement, their mantra is, is sort of like this, this will never happen. Your, your religious liberty will never be infringed upon. You will never be fined. You will never be told who you have to hire. But when it does happen, you bigots will deserve it. That, that's sort of the way that this, this comes at us. And, and I would suggest that you can take a psalm like this and you can pray that the Lord would defend us, that you could pray that the Lord would defend your freedom of conscience, your freedom to exercise your religion in the public square Uh, with with a psalm like this. So let's look together at more of Psalm 35 with these three contexts in mind, kind of on our radar. We've already looked at verses 1 through 3 where we have David's plea that the Lord would defend him. And I want to take you to the corresponding section at the end of the psalm. Look down at verses 27 and 28 where David says, Let those who delight in my righteousness... Now, what is David saying here? Is David some sort of self-righteous, Pharisaical, pompous, arrogant person? I don't think that's what's going on. I think what David is saying when he refers to those who delight in his righteousness is he's saying we we all look at the world from a certain perspective, and and this is much the way it is in our in our society too. You can look at the world from one perspective, let's say that you're let's say the a Muslim perspective. From the Muslim perspective, you, you can Google this. Google this word, "takiya," and then enter the word Islam. And from their perspective, they can legitimate telling non-Muslims, I'm not a Muslim, or I'm not violent. And then, and then advancing the cause of, of Islam, whether through violence or some other means. In other words, this, this doctrine of taqiyah allows them to lie, to non-Muslims. From the Muslim perspective, that's righteous because of the the ultimate end in view. That's a very different worldview than the one that we operate out of. Our worldview says, no, you shouldn't bear false witness to your neighbor. And, And from within our worldview, we want to say, let those who delight in righteousness as we understand it, this, this is the group of people that David is, is alluding to here in Psalm 35, 27, these people who agree with him, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the, the word there is welfare in the ESV, but it's the word shalom, the shalom of his servant. Uh, So there's this call for everybody that agrees with David to celebrate God's triumph. And then he says in verse 28, Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness. Uh, The word tell there, that the ESV renders tell, is the same word that you find in Psalm 1 when, when it speaks of the blessed man meditating on the scriptures day and night. So it's as though David is saying, Then my tongue will mutter over or meditate on your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. So you have a plea at the the beginning for the Lord to fight for him, and then you have a call to praise and and a a promise of of blessing in verses 27 and 28 at the end. Uh, Next, verses 4 through 8 and verses 19 through 26, so we're dealing with a chiasm here. We're dealing with a ring structure. And um, so we, we go from the outer parts to the... The just in the inner parts, the two pieces inside the outer rings, uh, verses 4 through 8, uh, David prays, and, and, and he, he has a series of prayers here that detail what he wants the Lord to do to those who are opposed to, him, opposed to him. So these are the imprecations. This is what David is praying will happen to his adversaries. He says in verse 4, Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. A couple of things here. Notice, they're trying to kill him. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. It is entirely legitimate for us to look at something like what happened in Paris or something like what happened in San Bernardino, California, and say, Lord, let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after our lives. And, and David, is, he's praying about people. Look at verse 7. Without cause, they hid their net for me. You know, in our society, there are many people who want to explain the rise of Islam as, as though the West has somehow provoked Muslims to come and, and do this. And, and I, think, I think that the facts just don't bear that out. Um, recently, I was, I was watching these presentations done by a guy who has a Ph.D. in Islamic studies from the University of Oxford. And, and the guy was referencing scholars who refer to the bloody borders that always surround Islamic lands. Islamic lands have bloody borders and I talked to another scholar um, years ago now who who said to me that that one of the reasons that we're seeing a resurgent Islam is because the British colonial boot has been lifted off their neck so so there's been this period where you didn't really have a lot of terroristic activity and it was largely because there was this entity, this empire called Great Britain that was ruling those lands. Well, you remove, you remove that and now all of a sudden this, this warlike people that intends to conquer the world, they begin to, they begin to go and, and do these things. David is praying about something similar and he says, let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. It's unprovoked and, and it's their plot. Notice the similarity between verse 4 and verse 26. Look down at verse 26. Let them be put to shame, same word from verse 4, and disappointed, that word's also in verse 4, altogether, who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor, who magnify themselves against me. So in verses 4 through 8, you've got a set of things that David prays against his enemies. In verses 19 through 26, you've got another set and the first prayer and the last prayer, they correspond to each other at a number of points. Same, same prayer, essentially. And then look at verse 5. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. And this should remind you of something. This should remind you of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't do these things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then it goes on to describe him. And then it says, the wicked are not so but they shall be like chaff that the wind drives away. So David is now taking that statement from Psalm 1 and praying it against his enemies. Let these wicked people be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Now in verse 7, he starts in, in, in nonspecific terms he starts describing what these people have done to him. The first thing to note there in verse 7 is, for without cause they hid their net from me. In other words, this is unprovoked. This is unjustified. David has not betrayed these people. David has not poked these people in the, in the eye. Um, he, he, he's, he's not done anything to cause them to, to want to, to hide these snares for him. He continues there in verse 7, Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. They're trying to kill him. He, he'll elaborate more on the ways that he's been betrayed as we continue. But here, look at verse 8. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him, let him fall into it to his destruction. So David is essentially saying, let, the, let the, 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 the means that they have devised to bring me down snap closed on themselves. Let them suffer what they themselves have tried to initiate. Now, look, look down at verses 19 through 26, and let's look at this other set of imprecations here. Um, in, in verses 4 through 8, um, David is calling on the Lord to, to put these people to shame. Now in verses 19 through 26, he's calling on the Lord to keep them from accomplishing their purposes. So verse 19, let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. There, there again, that's that wrongfully my foes. Now I've suggested um, that that um, that we we can pray this way with respect to uh, Islamic terrorists, and I've I've brought up this possibility in our culture that um, that um, the West has somehow provoked this, or it's somehow warranted by something like the Crusades. And and often, sometimes, so it's it, I think it's relatively frequent in our culture. You, you will hear people suggest. Even the president recently did this, suggests that Christianity is perhaps just as culpable as Islam because of the Crusades, because of things like the Crusades. And I would just refer you to a book on the Crusades by a man named Rodney Stark, who, who has gone back and analyzed the situation, and what he argues uh, in his, I think I think the book is called something like "The Truth About the Crusades." I don't remember the exact title, but the the author is Rodney Stark. What he argues is that essentially the Crusades were something like a counter terrorist op- operation. In other words, it, in the days when the Crusades were launched, you had the same kinds of incursions from militant Islam that you have today, and in order to to try to keep that from taking over Western Europe, uh, the these these Folks launched the Crusades to counter uh, Islam. Now, uh, whether whether we can sort that out or not, we can say this: in Christianity, there is what you call a just war theory. And the just war theory. So here, I'm, what I'm trying to do here is a little bit of apologetics. I'm trying to uh, defend Christianity against the the charge that that the Crusades somehow tell against the Church. Uh, What I want to say is, there is this just war tradition in Christianity, which the part I'm after here is, says you don't fight unless you're you're attacked, and then you fight in self-defense. But it is unjust to conquer other nations just to take their land. You will find no corresponding just war theory in Islam. In fact, it is just the opposite. In Islam, the objective is to conquer territory, to take land. So, so I, I contend that, that uh, these, these attacks are unprovoked. And, and I think most of you are going to agree with me that the people recently killed in Paris and San Bernardino, the, the people doing the killing were wrongfully their foes. I, I think that's a point we can all agree on. Let not those rejoice over me, David says, who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace there in verse 20. But against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. That word peace there in verse 20 is the same word that we saw just a second ago in verse 27 rendered welfare. The word shalom in both places. These are violent people. Verse 21, they open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. And and you can see what they're doing, can't you? They are alleging that David is guilty. They are alleging that they have evidence that warrants what they're doing. And David's defense against that is in verse 22. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. So David is denying their false allegations. And then he's calling on the Lord, Lord verse 23, Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness and let them not rejoice over me. Vindicate me according to your righteousness. A moment ago I talked about these different ways of viewing the world. Another different way of viewing the world that we have on offer in our culture is this view of the world that says morality is a shifting, a shifting code and, and, and it's an evolving standard. And if we want to conclude in our day that we want to call it moral for two men to marry or two women to marry or what, however else the variance may come... If we want to call that moral, then by golly, we can do it, and we can say that you're bigoted and immoral for opposing it. And that's, that's what we're having here. And so when David prays here, vindicate me according to your righteousness. He's saying, I'm siding with you on what truth is, on what right and wrong are, and I'm calling for, for you to vindicate your standards. And let them not rejoice over me. Verse 25. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. So David is praying that his enemies would not prevail. And then verse 28 that we already looked at, let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. So you have this opening prayer and then a concluding. Uh, a praise at the end of the psalm and then these two sets of imprecations one step in from the outer rings and then in from that is a promise from David or two sets of promises from David that he'll praise the Lord when the Lord delivers him look at verses 9 and 10 coming out of verse 8 where he's praying on the Lord praying for the Lord to uh, to defend him verse 9 then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation, all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? He's quoting Exodus 15 11 here. Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. The poor and needy from him who robs him. So David is saying that in response to the Lord's deliverance of him, he will, he's going to praise the Lord, and he's going to use language drawn from Exodus fifteen eleven, used to celebrate the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Uh, it, it, it's interesting that um, there's this reference here in verse 10, to him who is too strong for him. Delivering the poor, in verse 10, from him who is too strong for him. I don't know how the Lord does this, really, but he always makes his people the underdog. The the Lord makes it so that the people of God are always those at the disadvantage, and then he always brings them through. You think about this. The God of the universe, and, and this is celebrated in the Pentateuch, the God of the universe goes to select for himself a people, and he chooses Israel. And then he tells them, I didn't choose you because you were righteous or strong or numerous. I chose you because you were nothing. And then they, they're enslaved. They're ensla- the, the, he chooses a group of slaves. And then he delivers them from those who were too strong for them. And David is saying, this is what you've done with me also. David's enemies apparently looked more impressive than he did. They looked stronger than he did. And the Lord delivered them. And consider the culture today. We don't look stronger than our adversaries, do we? We don't look more impressive. We don't look more media savvy. We don't look like we have more influence. Just just yesterday, I was with we were down with Jill's parents, and Jill's uh, father is a man who's very politically uh, engaged, and he was saying to me, "I've been warning you about this for years. That you Christians needed to get after this." And and I'm uh, look I. You didn't have, I knew it was coming too. It's, what could I have done about it? You know, I'm, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Go get on Fox News and somehow convince everybody? I, I don't understand what you expect me to do about this. We, we're the poor and needy here. The, our, our adversaries are too strong for us. And we look to the Lord who delivers us in these kinds of situations. Look down at verse 17. David says, How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. Uh, so, so in these two sections, verses 9 and 10 and verses 17 and 18, David is saying, God, when you deliver me, I am going to praise you. And then at the very heart of this psalm, uh, in verses 11 and 12, and 15 and 16, you have descriptions of the way that David was betrayed, the way that the traitors were, were false to David. And then in verses 13 and 14, you have the way that David treated them. And the contrast between the traitors and David highlights the gracious and loving and faithful character of David. So let's look first at the the traitors in verses 11 and 12 and 15 and 16. Verses 11 and 12, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. You can imagine this scenario, can't you? This accusatory situation where these witnesses who who are claiming probably to have seen uh, David do things that were... were, um, that would have brought him into reproach, things that would have uh, called into question his standing among the people, things that, that could have alluded to his physical weakness or his moral culpability, perhaps from his sin, or his political ineptitude, maybe some failure in the battlefield. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. And then verse 12, they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. So David is saying, I was good to these people. I was faithful to them. And they've responded to me with evil. And then look at verse, verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. Again, we don't know what the stumbling that's in view here was. It, it could have been any number of things. It could have been some... Maybe David did something really foolish, as political leaders do. Maybe David did really something really sinful, as kings do, and as we know David did. Maybe David... Uh, maybe he, he, his weakness was shown up and, he, and his ineptitude for the task was exposed in public... But whatever it is, he refers to it as a stumbling. And they rejoiced. Now think about the malice at work when if, if, if someone is going along and they're in a position of leadership and they blow it, whatever, if they're physically weak or morally culpable or politically inept, whatever the, they, and people rejoice over this. That's just meanness. That is... Vicious meanness. At my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. So David is dealing with enemies who are implacable. Enemies who will not be propitiated. And, and their treachery and their meanness and their viciousness serves to highlight the, the contrasting picture that David gives us of his behavior in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. So David is saying, look, I genuinely loved these people. I was was truly concerned, affectionate about them. And I think that this actually helps us to understand the Bible's imprecatory prayers. Because here David... We don't know who these people were. We can posit some possibilities about who these people might have been. I suspect that these are people who may have been had reason to have been at odds with David even before they betrayed him. so So let's posit perhaps the Philistines and, and let's just take as an example of the kind of person that may have been it may be in view in this psalm, Achish the king of Gath. You remember that that uh, David, when he fled from Saul, he went over to Achish, king of Gath, and he lived among the Philistines for a time, and he had a relationship with the king of the Philistines. And, and so maybe this psalm is responding to a time when the, Ach- the, the Philistines double-crossed David, betrayed him in some way. And he's saying, look, I was faithful to them, my enemies. I was faithful to them. And then they turned and, and betrayed me. Or perhaps it's somebody in Israel, an Israelite, who was perhaps part of a different faction. And and David was nevertheless faithful to them, only to be betrayed by them. I think we can see in this psalm, in verses 13 and 14, David living out something like, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. But but then a time comes when, when they have sought to destroy him, and he turns and says to the Lord, all right, Lord, let them, let them experience the shame, verses 4 through 8, that they deserve. Don't let them have the, the unrighteous triumph, verses 19 through 26, that they seek. Defend me. So he's praying against them. And, and all the while, he was faithful to them. So, I, so in, in the Bible, we're given a somewhat uh, complicated way of responding to enemies. On, on the one hand... We're to bless and not to curse. We're to pray for those who persecute us. But on the other hand, I think it's right to pray that they would experience the justice that's due them for what the evil that they've done. And I think it's right to pray that they would not prevail, verses 19 through 26, but that the Lord would thwart their their efforts. I think we can hold all these things together. And we can also say this. when When we're looking at David... We can point to various things, various failures that we could say, maybe those enemies of David thought that they were justified, maybe because of his sin with Bathsheba, maybe because when he was among the Philistines, he was, actually, he was actually doing raids on the Philistine towns and not being altogether honest with Achish, king of Gath. We could point to things about David that would call into question the justice of his cause. But if we look at the one anticipated by David's life, there is nothing that we can point to that calls into question the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. And, and what's, what's anticipated in David's life in Psalm 35 finds its ultimate expression and fulfillment in Jesus. So David loved and cared for those who betrayed him, but nobody more thoroughly loved and cared for those who betrayed him than Jesus, who washed the feet of Judas and wept over Jerusalem. David was wronged by those who engaged in unjustified attacks on him, but no attack was less justified than the one that was lodged against Jesus. David prayed for God's justice against God's enemies. No one was more emotionally aligned with the Father and his justice than Jesus Everything that we see about David in Psalm 35 anticipates and is fulfilled in the life of the one to come. So if, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and maybe one of the reasons you're not a Christian is because of what you see in the lives of Christians, one of the things that we want to say to you is, you know, you're right. You can point to things in our lives that, that, that would justify maybe feeling contempt for us, but we're not the point. Jesus is the point. And what we want to say to you is, yeah, I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. But we serve somebody who is. And we would invite you to look at Jesus. And we would invite you to become somebody who who has taken up sides with Jesus, not against Jesus, and who then calls on the Lord to contend with those who contend with you, to fight against those who fight against you, to take hold of shield and buckler and rise, for your help. Can you imagine the wonder of this? That that this psalm in verses 1 through 3 is suggesting that you can call on the God of the universe to be your defender. You can call call on the God of the universe to be your champion, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and there is no sin stronger than he is. There's no temptation more powerful than he is. There's no false religion that's going to conquer the Lord Jesus. And there's no cause that's going to undo the righteousness that he has laid down. He is Lord. And we would invite you to trust and serve and worship him with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our King is flawless, that he's blameless that he's altogether righteous and pure. And Lord, we praise you and thank you that your cause will be defended, that those who are opposed to you will be put to shame and dishonored, that they will not triumph over your people. And Lord, when the day comes, when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones and sets all things right, we will worship you in the great congregation. And Lord, we ask that you would Make us those who can say, like David, we loved our enemies. We prayed for those who persecuted us. We, we held out the message of your love for them and wept that they might repent. Lord, make us Christ-like, we ask, and help, help us to use Psalm 35 to that end. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.